Welcome to the Virtual Expats Podcast, where we investigate the question of how does where we live affect what we do online? Technically, we are on an interview hiatus right now until the beginning of March, but I could not resist putting out an extra episode in celebration of Podbean, our, our amazing, wonderful hosting site, actually picking us as the podcast of the week. Thank you, Podbean! If anybody, if any of you are thinking of starting a podcast, please do go over to podbean.com. I seriously have not had this good a, an experience with a company in ages. They are absolutely, positively fantastic. Let's get to it. So just a quick reminder that Virtual Expats is uh, branching off into a pod tube, which is part podcast, what you're listening to right now, and part YouTube channel. And that'll be in the show notes. In the YouTube channel, I'm delving into a little more of the personal effects of the virtualness on my own expat life. And in this podcast, we're delving into other people's experiences as they move around and what that does to their online presence. Today, I'm super excited to share with you a conversation I had with Greg of the Bangkok Podcast. The Bangkok Podcast is hosted by Greg and his co-host Ed Knuth, and they really delve into much more than you would ever think about a location expat podcast being. Without further ado, let's listen to Greg on the interesting trajectory his life, both on and offline, take as he moved out of his home country, Canada. Thank you so much, Greg, for joining us on Virtual Expat today. Happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. Can you do a quick introduction about yourself for our listeners? Sure. Starts when I was born. No, I'll keep, I'll keep it simple. My name is Greg. <laughs> I'm a Canadian. I came to Bangkok, uh, Thailand when I was 26 in 2001. That was for four months with a buddy of mine. It was all his idea, actually. We came over here and we were planning on traveling around, going to the beaches, having some fun, whooping it up a little bit. And then he went home after 12 days and I was just kind of like, well, the hell with you. I'm going to stay. Bombed around until I ran out of money. And then I thought, geez, I better get a job. And I got a job. And then 17 years later, married with a little kid and a condo and a job that I quite like. And I have no plans to go anywhere else. 17 years. That's amazing. I can't believe I was 26 when I think how old I was when I came over here. I was a young punk. I was a kid. And I was just talking about this yesterday with someone when we were like, man, I was so restless in my 20s. And I thought I had to do everything within like a year. There was just so much momentum. And I was just so frustrated that everything wasn't happening all at once. And now <laughs> I never had that. I think it's one of my great drawbacks is that I've never been very aggressive or ambitious. I've just sort of been like, yeah, whatever, whatever happens, you know, all you can do with roll it. I'm like, I'm like Spicoli from Fast Times at Richmond High, <laughs> except I don't smoke weed, which would probably make it everything better I'm just like yeah, man, whatever just roll with the punches yo and I've done pretty well so far that being said I'm still broke I have a five-year-old car so so what we we generally do on this podcast is we kind of map out your geographicalness and your virtualness and kind of see if one affected the other when would you consider the beginning of your online presence when you started having kind of like hey this is virtual Greg existence online I have kind of a weird not for kids story about that I went to film school and uh, I, I was taking a film course in Ottawa Ontario Canada mm -hmm. and this was about 1995 mm -hmm. or early 1996 yeah I was living with with a friend of mine who was a little bit older than me and he had a computer and we used to go on the IRC chat boards at night and just it was all text-based and you would just sort of join this chat room and then the list of people who were there would come up and we would start chatting with people it was so cool 
and interesting and new because it was a completely virtual experience. At that time, it, we would still say things like, let's go surf and uh, let's go to cyberspace. You know, <laughs> things that are completely... I don't know if I want to ask this question, but what's IRC? <laughs> IRC means internet relay chat. Oh, okay. The way you prefaced that, I was like expecting some sort of really weird virtual setup there. Okay. It was a computer with an orange text yeah. screen and a keyboard one piece. And I started to meet these people and uh, I started to get to know this one girl oh, and she invited out to uh to a movie one night i remember we went and saw pulp fiction it was a blind date basically and um, this girl was like i'm wearing a purple coat and i have mm. long blonde hair and i'm tall and i'm like oh wow this sounds interesting and i went to the mall and she was a lovely girl but tall was a bit of an understatement i'm six two and she was about six five and probably twice as heavy as me <laughs> I was like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. And it was just the first time that my expectations smashed up against reality. But anyway, we went to see the movie. And then afterwards, she invited me to an orgy. Oh, th- that same evening? No, not the same evening. <laughs> Thank you. She's like, hey, well, me and my friends getting together like next week. And sometimes we get drunk and we get naked. And you're welcome to come. And I was like, <laughs> I'll think about it. And I don't think we ever talked after that, but <laughs> thankfully no. it didn't turn me off the internet. Your first at a room experience was very different than mine. Sadly, nothing of the same excitement level has ever happened to me since online. <laughs> Do you remember what your handle was for that? Uh, yes, it was Sir Greg, S-I-R-G-R-E-G, because that was my nickname all through school. It's a long, stupid story, but I wrote it on a test one time and the teacher started calling me Sir Greg to be <laughs> sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and stuck. And by the time I got to high school, everyone called me Sir Greg. Mm-hmm. And that was that was my nickname. <laughs> pretty cool nickname to have. Pretty respectful. Yeah. Everyone who knew me was like, this guy, Sir. Okay, how did they say Sir Greg? Sir Greg! That's not sarcastic. I guess no. Sarcastic, maybe. Sarcastic. Oh, <laughs> fair play. So you got on the chat rooms and then there's still debate on if email really counts in this timeline that I'm creating because it, it's more of a private existence. So let's stick to the stuff that's exposed to most people. I'm intentionally using that word considering the last story. <laughs> so what was your next online experience? I mean, we continued going into cyberspace and surfing and we used to go to internet cafes, mm-hmm. you know, and this was back when Friends was the number one show on TV. So mm-hmm. going to coffee shops was extremely hip. It never really stopped. It just sort of morphed. And then afterwards I went back to college to film school. Mm. And it just sort of slowly started becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger part of how wow. things evolved. And mm. it sort of, it's, the internet's footprint continued to grow and spread and move into your life sort of imperceptibly and slowly. And mm. it was a really interesting slash awful time to go to film school, especially because this was 1996, 97. It was just at the time that digital technology was becoming easy enough to use and affordable enough to buy Mm -hmm. for most schools and things like that, that it was completely changing the industry that I was training to work in. It was a two-year course. It was a technical school. First year, we learned how to edit films and and things like that. And we were literally cutting with razor blades and Mm -hmm. taping how they've been doing it since the advent of the technology in the late 1800s. And the year after that, year two, they bought an Avid, a digital nonlinear editing system with 32 gigabytes of storage. And we were like, we'll never need any more storage. Mm -hmm. And so it was a completely different fuel set. Everything was digital. And we used to have with my professor and my, my, my fellow students, we used to have raging disagreements and arguments, not not, uh, serious, but debates about how far digital technology would displace traditional technology that we were all used to. And I remember the one of them being my teacher, Phil. He was absolutely sure that digital technology would never be able to be used in film projection in a theater. 
because he said the picture's not clear enough, the light bulbs aren't powerful enough, it doesn't have the throw to get from the back of the room to the front, blah, 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 blah. And some people were like, no, no, you don't understand the way it's evolving, you know, and back and forth and back and forth. And of course, now almost every movie theater is digital. And this is something I think about when I hear someone say like, oh, X technology will never be able to do this. Mm -hmm. And I just think, well, you know, that's what they said about a lot of things. Exactly. It's more a matter of when than never. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the internet just sort of became slowly more and more and more a part of things. And, and, you know, a few years after I had graduated from film school, digital was sort of the standard. And now I have more technology on on my iPhone here than I had access to in my entire two years of, of film school. Oh, for sure. For sure. Let's slow down a sec. When you were in film school, what things were you doing online? Where was Sir Greg virtually at that time? The curriculum that I was in didn't have an online component. It was more the digital part of things and how that was changing things. So it wasn't part of the curriculum I was doing, but I did enjoy being in a school that was considered like a technical college. So Um, I have another sort of slightly risque story. I remember our building got wired up for the internet. Fantastic. You know, you get an educational institution, they have fast internet. And so we got, you know, like probably 60, 80, 100 computers in these rooms up to the internet at blazing fast speeds, which looking back was probably like a 512 modem or something like that. So I used to go up there after classes and just enjoy open up Netscape and be like, this is amazing. Like there's so much information online. <laughs> and of course, because, you know, I'm 20, whatever I was, 22, 24. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm like, I wonder if there's porn on the internet. And of course, it was just like unlimited <laughs> And I remember, I remember one time I was, you know, I was, I was seeing what was out there and what was available and what was going on. And of course there's little postage stamp thumbnail videos of porno movies and stuff. And this was incredible, you know, like, wow, this stuff is coming over the internet. And I was in a room and there was no one in the room. And I took the back row computer in the corner, of course. <laughs> and it was a partitioned room with one of those like, plastic accordion curtains. That goes oh gosh, down the yeah. <laughs> so I'm sitting there in the back and Netscape's open and I got all these windows open and I'm like looking at this. Oh, what's that? Oh, wow, that's interesting. And then I hear this like click, 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 click. And a teacher next door had opened the curtain and was looking in and he's like, hi, what are you doing? And at the time I had dozens of pop-up windows, you know, like Britney Spears, oh, Amy. No. <laughs> I'm you always were I shouldn't be doing right now. <laughs> yeah, just really crude animated drawing, mm-hmm. like two frame gifs going off and stuff. And it was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like oh, oh, I'm just in the meantime, I'm like click, click, madly trying to click the X's in the corners of these Netscapes. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I think we should close down now. And I'm like, yeah, okay, okay. And I've, I've continually found new ways to embarrass myself online. It's easy to do. I mean, things can happen so fast. Even even back in the in the late '90s, things can happen so fast with technology that before you know it, you're like, "Oh, I really shouldn't have done that." Too late. <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 cheesy, but it's true. The old line is like, "I'm glad there was no social media back mm-hmm. when I was." I put a lot of thought into this as a father. Son is growing up. I'm like, yeah. "Jesus, I'm gonna have to really sit him down and give him several talks." You know. I don't know if I would have the smarts at the time to not post a lot of stuff or to have other people post stuff about me as I did stupid stuff in my teens and twenties. So I'm glad that's not an option. Well, it's an interesting time, right? We've only been online for, mm-hmm. for what, 20 years? Sometimes even less than that for mm-hmm. like really online, you know, right. like social media. When did Facebook come out? Like 2006? 2004. 12 years. We still don't know the long-term effects of all this stuff. Right. Yeah. And I was actually looking through a timeline of social media because I always forget how late things started because I always just think, oh, it's been a long time. But I'm looking at LiveJournal and Friendster and I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, 
I was huge on Friendster. I love right? it. I barely remember yeah. Friendster, but I do remember what was that music one? MySpace. I mean, MySpace was big on music too. I think that might have been it. What were you doing on a Friendster? Same thing you do on Facebook, just meeting people and posting yeah. pictures and trying to find out how does a website find me? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the problem with Friendster is like they were underfunded. Mm-hmm. No one really understood what they were, and they were never able to acquire enough server power to keep up with demand. Mm-hmm. Space swooped in and just sort of took it all over. And Friendster yeah, yeah. languished. They were really popular in the Philippines for a long time after the rest of the world forgot about them, but eventually they died. That's what Wikipedia is saying. They're saying the service would be popular in Asia and the Pacific Islands, and I didn't realize it got popular anywhere. There was like a blip in the U.S., and I'm guessing yeah. In Canada too. And then it just kind of went away. Well, that's one of the things you, you learn about living overseas is that you're like, oh, like trends in America are by no means global. Yeah. <laughs> all, all, your, all your friends in this country are using this app or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And then all your friends in the other country are like, we don't use that over here. We use this one. Oh gosh. This explains why there are so many friggin' apps on my phone. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I need to be on this one for these people, this one for this person. My worldwide clock has 13 different cities in it for different people in different times. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty ridiculous, but it's the price of being a communications person in the uh, 21st century. Just once you've gone overseas and met people who live in various different countries, then it's just never ending cycle of where is everybody now and what time zone is that how do we keep up (laughs) (laughs) i wake up in the morning my my iphone wakes me up i pick it up i turn off the alarm and i open twitter and then i check out make sure the world hasn't ended overnight and then (laughs) and then i get up and i and i watch a few cartoons with my kid on the tv through netflix through netflix as we we eat breakfast and get ready and then i go to work and i look at a computer for eight hours Mm -hmm. i have three giant monitors on my desk oh three yeah well you know i'm very important and then um (laughs) Position wise, two can uh, kind of be veered in towards each other. Do you have them just three in a row? No, I have a 15 inch MacBook that I use along below, and then I have a shelf with two, oh, two um, okay. 17 inch monitors sitting up. Gotcha. Yeah, and then I look at computers all day, and then when I take a break, I'm on checking my phone, checking Twitter again, checking mail, messages, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when I come home, I maybe watch a bit more TV with my son, and mm-hmm. I on the train home, I look at my phone <laughs> and then I get on the, on my computer at home and I do some freelance writing, which I sometimes still do, or I do my own podcast or I update my blog. Like it's just constant online. The graph charting my like minutes per day of how long I spend online has just risen steadily and consistently over right. the years. Can you pinpoint when that started, when you started to be such a digital soul, when you started to check these things more and more and more, when that progression started? I can pinpoint the time when I really became interested in being on a computer all the time or as much mm-hmm. as I could. That was when Napster came out. Oh, Napster. Yeah. 1999, 1998. I had bought my first computer. It was a compact computer, 800 bucks a few months before all of this started. Say what you will about the morals. There's arguments for both sides, whatever. At the time, it was just, it was just mind blowing, like mm-hmm. unlimited music. Mm-hmm. And this was before the iPad and anything, right? So mm-hmm. you're, you wanted music, you had to go to the store and you had to buy a CD. When Napster came out, I was like, oh man, I got to get as much music as I want to. So I spent a lot of time mm-hmm. looking at music, listening to music, downloading, organizing. And of course, like I said, you couldn't take it anywhere. It wasn't portable. So you had to be at home listening to the music with Winamp. Winamp. Yeah. Oh my God. Memories are flowing back so fast <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> then you had to get Winamp to look cool. So you had to go on and get skins and stuff like that. And that was when it really became like, oh, this is internet thing might be here for a while. And I think mm-hmm. it's going to be a big part of my life. What kind of music were you looking for at that point? What I remember the first track I ever downloaded was a Metallica song, ironically. And then after that, it was Macy Gray. That was oh, a big song. Yeah. So that was only a couple years before you went to Thailand. I'm making a bad assumption here that that's the first drastic geographical shift. So let me not make that assumption. From the beginning of your IRC day 
days to when you left for Thailand? Were you in one location in Canada? When I first got on the internet and the IRC days, I was in Ottawa, Ontario, and then I moved back to Calgary, Alberta. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was where I stayed from 1994 till 2001 when I left. From Ottawa to Calgary, was that a big shift for you at that time? Yeah, because I'd spend all my time on the, on the west coast of Canada, mm-hmm. uh, or Calgary, which is sort of like the not as close to the coast as possible. So basically Calgary is above Montana. Gotcha. And Ottawa is above Galen, Chicago. I spent my whole life basically on the western side of Canada, but gotcha. I did have some friends in Ottawa that I that I was able to stay with when I was there. I'm just looking right now. No, Ottawa is uh, directly above New York State. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty eastern then. You were in Thailand when a lot of the big ones came out. I remember doing research for the trip that we were coming on to Thailand. And there was really a couple of websites, early, early text-only websites written by sexpats in Thailand that actually kind of turned me off of the country. I'm like, really? And there was Lonely Planet's Thorn Tree, where you'd post a question and then come back and like... 10 hours and see, please, someone answer me. I got a lot of jobs from that site. Nice. <laughs> and, and travel advice. That was it. You know, there was no cell phones, mm-hmm. at least at least not that weren't hideously prohibitively expensive. I set up my own blog, which was really unique at the time mm-hmm. on Homestead. You remember Homestead? And it was like, it was like Angel Fire or something like that. And it oh, was, okay. I had homestead.com slash Thailand. You basically reserved your little website. Mm-hmm. I made a little website with a drag and drop templates they had. And I thought instead of emailing everyone, because not even everyone, not everyone even had email back then. Right. I thought like, I'll just write my blog and then everyone can come and check at their leisure. Yep. Not realizing that only my mom was ever really checking them the blog but i used to spend hours every day sitting in 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 an internet cafe in chiang mai you know (laughs) uploading pictures that no one cares about writing stories that no one ever read i bet people were reading it Uh, i don't know there was no kind of stats available at the time what Okay, I started my first blog in 2003 and I I had a stat thing. I think I actually had to add it. It wasn't it yeah. automatically on the website. I had to find some code and shove it in there. But I watched that thing every day. I'm like, who's well, maybe there was like one of those counters at the bottom, you know, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. 12 yeah. people have visited. Yeah. I don't think I ever bothered with that. Yeah, You're no, such a good man. So. See, you were doing it because you liked it. I was like, I liked I really liked doing it and I wanted to see that people were reading it. <laughs> I think you're right, but I also think I was doing it was because I thought what I was doing was so cool and everyone wanted in you know my friend mark and i first decided we would come to thailand telling people like oh yeah you know yeah i'm going to thailand you know i'm gonna go over there go to thailand people are like oh yeah i've been to thailand four times i was such a noob i had no idea and i literally thought that i would be like walking through jungles and hacking away vines and like exploring places that no one had ever been before. And I just could not have been further from the truth. I was so unprepared. Oh, you were unprepared. My first place in Asia was Taiwan. And I saw the temperature and thought, oh, tropical (laughs) island. Great. It's going to be like Hawaii. People will be in shorts all the time. And I'll just be like this. surfing culture and i'm like wait what no you get there and you're like why are people wearing business suits it's 212 percent humidity outside yeah why is everybody yelling at me for wearing a tank top on my scooter oh wait culture <laughs> that's why so what did you write on the blog then just silly observational stuff today i went to this waterfall here's a mm-hmm. picture yeah, yeah um, of course your stuff yeah i don't have a copy of it anymore um what? I, don't know, I don't know what happened to it it got lost to the to the ether to the mm-hmm. bits and bites of the internet. And you were in Chiang Mai first. Came over here to sort of see my friend Penny, who had moved to Chiang Mai to teach at an international school. And it's kind of sad because we got there. We did this um, amazing eight-day adventure tour with mm-hmm. this company called Smiling Albino, run right. by two Canadian guys from Calgary, same as me. It was fantastic. Quick plug for Smiling Albino. They're still going strong, and they've significantly upped their 
ante in terms of sort of high-end luxury travel. Back then, it wasn't luxury. They're still going strong. Two guys who founded it together are still two of my best friends in Thailand. Did eight days with them, and we finished in Chiang Mai. And then four days later, my friend went home. That's when I said, well, the hell with you. I'll just stay and do my own thing. <laughs> uh-huh. And I, re- I really regret it because I spent the next, I can't remember, nine months, eight, uh-huh. seven, nine months in Chiang Mai doing jack shit. Just I would wake up 10. I would go to Sizzler, some sausages or something like that mm-hmm. <laughs> and i would go to the internet cafe and i would update my stupid little blog and then i would go to the shopping mall and watch a movie or something you know i just i didn't i didn't eat thai food i didn't talk to thai people i learned mm-hmm. no language i was the kind of person that i hate right now it was a complete waste of time i wonder if on some level you were adjusting even though you weren't fully immersing yourself i don't know eh, maybe but i mean there's no there's no excuse i could have adjusted a lot sooner did you go after that point down to bangkok yeah that's where i I had I had literally had like fifty dollars left to my name and a return ticket. This is when I talked about earlier of not having a plan of any kind. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, oh well, whatever happens, happens. <laughs> and I went down to Bangkok and I was like, I'll spend a few days in Bangkok just chilling out before I get a plane home. Mm-hmm. And I called up my friend Dan, who was the co-founder of Smiling Albino, the one of two or three people that I was still in contact with who I happened to get on the phone because there was a landline. There was no cell phones. So I called him and I was like, Hey Dan, uh, just wanted to say thanks for everything. I'm going back to Canada, ran out of money. So, you know, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I, I, I might know a guy who's looking for a teacher for a summer camp. Mm-hmm. I said, Oh, well, yeah, give me his number. I'll call him. Mm-hmm. And a few days later I was sitting in an interview on a little kid's plastic chair and the <laughs> <laughs> Little small little kids stick table talking to this dude. Yeah, I got a job as a teacher. I was like, yeah, all right, I'll stay for a while and see what happens. And here you are. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> or there you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So how long did you keep that blog going for then? I think probably about a year. And then by that point, Hotmail was the new thing. And Hotmail. after about a year or so, almost everyone had an email address. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I don't need to update the blog anymore. I can just write an email to everyone. So I'll just fill in the CC fields. And also I moved to Bangkok and I didn't have a computer and I had a job. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't spend four or five hours a day anymore right. sitting at the right. cafe updating the stupid blog. Right. So I figured it was just easier to email everyone. Yeah, that's interesting. We went totally different directions because I started my blog in 2003. I started off emailing people and they were sending the email to friends and it got too long of an email thing. So I ended up doing the blog because it was easier than CCing all of those people. But it was just a oh. short time difference from 2001 when you did the blog until email got easier. And I did email until blog got easier. It's like just... <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Just those two years made that big a difference. Things changed so fast in those two years. And then social media hit. Let's see. Twitter was 2006. YouTube was 2000. It's so hard to imagine YouTube being 2005. You know what's funny about YouTube? And this yeah. this goes back to my story about film school. And I remember for to get into film school, we had to do the final step was a table meeting where three of you had to sit across the table from three teachers. And they grilled you and you had to answer the questions. Oh boy, defense, yeah. I didn't prepare. I was like, I don't know, I'll just speak honestly. What else can I do? (laughs) Um, It worked out okay because I got in. But I remember one of the guys that um, was sitting with me, I forget what the question was, but it came up, what idea do you have? What technology idea do you have that you want to like implement or something like that? Mm -hmm. He said, I want to open a video store, but instead of renting movies, you would rent other people's videos. And at the time I thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) You know? And then like, 10 years later, YouTube is sold for a 
billion dollars or whatever it is, which is essentially nothing but other people's videos. So he had the right idea, just a slightly different concept. But tell you what, the first few years of YouTube were kind of, you know. Anyway, yeah, it was iffy. And then just sort of one day it was like the thing. And then it started having music. And that's when I kind of jumped on board, like in about 2003. See, when I moved to Taiwan is when I had the fastest, most easily accessible internet of my life. I went to internet cafes and I did session. I have the world at my fingertips. Let's go. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Did you spend a lot of time on YouTube or Twitter or Facebook when it first came out? Like, where did where did you spend your social media time in the early aughts? Well, MySpace was big. I'm still friends with a few people that I've met on MySpace. Back at that time, Facebook was still very new, and it was only open to college students with a, like an EDU yeah. email address. If I was on Facebook, it, it wasn't what it is now. It was very new. Twitter was huge. In Bangkok and Thailand, mm -hmm. like we were saying earlier, like different countries have different things that they glom onto. Mm -hmm. But in Thailand, for at least for the expat community, it was Twitter, mm -hmm. and it was the central repository for everything for several years. It was where I, I still have very good friends who I met on Twitter back mm -hmm. in the day. We used to have tweet ups, and we used to tweet about hanging out with the Twitterati. <laughs> such a perfect. <laughs> <laughs> they remind me of, uh, what is the tweet up is that when you just meet people that you're in twitter groups in person yeah it's just it's just like hey everyone tweet up on tuesday at 7 30 at this restaurant and like 12 people would show up twitter was really really became vital in 2010 mm -hmm. and that was when the first of my life the first big violent protests happened in bangkok mm, okay the red, shirt, the red shirt protests of, mm -hmm. of 2010 and that was when twitter became indispensable because mm -hmm. this was when you know bullets were flying people were being shot with oh, sniper rifles in the streets. Oh my gosh. Like 80, 80 people were killed. Thousands of people were injured. The whole downtown core of Bangkok was shut down. It was a war zone. It was tired on fire. There was tanks. Right. Everyone was basically like, okay, just stay home for a week until they sort this shit out. But that was how you yeah. found out about things was Twitter. You, it was on the ground, real time yeah. reporting from your friends, from reporters. Followed. Yeah. It became an indispensable tool for finding out what was going on in the city where mm -hmm there's a language barrier. And so you can't read the newspapers, the language mm -hmm. press is basically, so it became a really, really important tool. But mm -hmm. even before that, it was important socially to getting to know people and sharing photos and things like that. So it's the go-to social media in Thailand right now. Um, Instagram, Insta, as the kids Instagram. say. Oh my God. It really has taken over all over. It's ridiculous. It? I, I, okay. it. I, I don't get it. But Suwanapum airport in Bangkok last year, the year before was the most Instagrammed location on earth. Wow. Yeah. I, I have to admit I've gone over to the dark side, although I'm still resisting Facebook after like mm, a decade of being off of it, I think. <laughs> There's a big language learning community on Instagram and I I like it now. Yeah, well I'm I don't want to. <laughs> I'm I'm on it. <laughs> I'm on it because I'm I'm kind of a social nerdy guy and I, I, I use it on um with the, with the, with my, the Bangkok podcast with my podcast with um, mm. you know that it's connected to the our Bangkok podcast Facebook account so when I post photos it automatically goes to there. Mm. And also I have it set up I have an alternate Instagram account which I'm and what I use that for is it's connected to an app on my phone called Chatbooks. And so mm. I, I use this alternate account only for pictures of my son. Mm -hmm. it's, it's set to private. And it's got 
one follower, me, and mm-hmm. my main account. And then every time I post 60 pictures, it links to Chatbooks, mm-hmm. and Chatbooks automatically prints those 60 pictures in a book and ships it to my mom in Canada. So, oh my God, that's brilliant. Every couple of months or so, she gets a, a nice photo book of her grandson in Canada. But going back to your question, Instagram yeah. is huge here. Line is massive. That's what everyone uses. Yeah. Snapchat is big. And mm-hmm. that's probably the top three. Um, I've never got online. I've spent stretches between contracts like uh, mostly up in Chiang Mai but I've never gotten on social media there usually when I'm there between contracts for like a month or two I'm so disconnected from everything or I'm just job searching like crazy that right I'm not terribly social at all what does line look like I think a very a very good analogy would be WeChat oh okay uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. basically the WeChat of of, of other countries, <laughs> not not China, but it has, doesn't have nearly the same social integration, the level of social integration. Oh, like, yeah. you know, paying bills and groceries and stuff like that. You, oh, yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. Although um, we do have a professional line account for our podcast, hmm. where we chat with our listeners mm-hmm. and we send out a link to the show every right. week. So some foreign podcasters in China that have official WeChat accounts for their podcast. And then they do similar things um, like that. Yeah. I struggle with that because I have three and I refuse to have three additional accounts. I, I'm on social media mostly for the pictures at this point because I'm so sick of reading who's uh, <laughs> tons of stuff. <laughs> but I just, yeah. oh gosh, it's, it's so time consuming and how the different sites decide what I see bugs me because there'll be people that I want to keep up with and they're not in my feed for weeks on end. Facebook has shrunk enormously in my life. I used to check it all the time. Mm-hmm. And just in the past three or four months, I've turned off all the notifications. Yeah. I still use Messenger because a lot of people are still on there. My sister in Australia, mm-hmm. my mom. But yeah, Facebook drives me nuts. Like they decide what I see. And all, right. I think all anyone wants is just like, let me see a chronological feed of stuff. And Instagram is the same way. Instagram got rid of their chronological yeah. feed. And now it's like you you look at it and then you close it and you open it up 10 seconds later and it's a completely different set of photos. You're like, what yeah. the hell am I looking at here? So, yeah. Um, no, it's anyway, very, very Yeah, I'm almost to the point where I'm going to go up to the people that I follow and just click on them individually. Like who do I want to, whose stuff do I want to look at? Because I'm so frustrated by what they're showing me. <laughs> exactly yeah yeah just scroll through your list of friends and then yeah but it's not as easy so i haven't done it yet (laughs) but it's because i feel like i am missing some stuff i really truly want to see and then i'm Mm. all the stuff that i'm like okay i started following someone because they had some good pictures of art that they're doing but i don't actually know them so they're not as important to me as people that i know that i want to follow and see what they're following you know it's just ah algorithms my goodness Hey there, this is Stephanie. I'm really excited that you're listening to this interview. I certainly had a wonderful time talking to Greg about these issues related to moving around and what it does to our online selves. Here's the deal. I really would love to grow this community. I'd really like to get more stories from other expats, and I'd like to hear from those of you that are not expats about what you think about all of this stuff we're talking about. So here is my request my call to action. I would like you to please screenshot this podcast image from whatever app you're listening to it in and send it to three people and say, I think you'd like this or something to that effect. Letting other people know about this podcast is the best way I can think of to increase our community, to have more to talk about and for me to find other expats to interview. (laughs) Thank you so much for spreading the word about virtual expats. And again, on every social media now, I'm even on Facebook. Oh my 
my gosh. I am S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O. Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook, WeChat if you're in China. You can reach me anywhere if you'd like to send me information directly about what you think about this project or if you'd like to participate yourself. Thank you so much. Three people. Three people. Thank you. Do you have a Greg persona and a Bangkok podcast persona online at this point, or are they the same? On most of my accounts online, I'm BKK Greg, Twitter, Instagram, probably a few other things. My podcast is linked to my blog, mm-hmm. and my blog is linked to my podcast, mm-hmm. and they're all linked to Twitter and the podcast Facebook page. So BKK Greg is like my online presence, I guess. When they do happen, tweet ups or something like that. I still meet people, oh, are you BKK Greg or something? That's what I'm known as if anyone knows me at all. What do you use social media more for your own posts and and whatnot or for the podcast? Personal, just information digestion. Um, Keeping up with what's going on in the world, which these days is not a very enjoyable thing. I I, I would say actually social media plays a relatively minor role in the podcast. Maybe it's just that I haven't put the work into it. I mean, we have our Twitter account and we have our Facebook account Mm -hmm. and we do a minimal amount of upkeep, but it's It's sort sort of of more as like just a channel to vomit things out into the world. Yeah, I do hear people saying, you know, to increase your audience, you have to tweet like 35 times a day because the tweet lasts like so many minutes or whatever. And that just sounds like spam to me. Did an influencer say that? Ooh, an influencer. Oh, influencer is actually even more than 35 a day. (laughs) I know. It is their job. So, I mean, yeah, that part, I suppose, makes sense. I hate influencers. The problem is I know some of them and some really lovely influencers. It's hard to write off the entire category. Seeing like an independent coffee roast, mm-hmm. like, ugh. At the same time, you're like, oh, actually, this is an independent coffee roast. It's a really nice guy. So it's, you can't paint the whole thing with a same brush. But it's just that word has, to me, has taken on a really hipster douchebag tint. Although I suppose celebrities have been doing that forever. In my lifetime, we've used movie stars and TV stars and, and whatnot to advertise different products. Yeah, yeah. But at least they can... Do something. Anyone stand on a cliff in front of a sunset holding your boyfriend's hand while he takes a photo? Like, show me something new and interesting and cool. Like, anyone could buy a plane ticket. On the podcast, we're playing with three-letter acronyms because there's IRL that already exists in the world, right? It's in real life. Oh, in a previous episode, we were playing with the idea of VRL, like virtual reality life, because there isn't really a term for... The opposite of IRL. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. You know, work-life balance, that that's a phrase. So I want a IRL, VRL. I want like a phrase like that. <laughs> that's a really good point because, you know, if you say something like, oh, you know, he's a friend IRL, even on my Facebook page, um, if you're not my friend, the message you see when you go to my Facebook page was, sorry, I only friend people I hang out RIL. Oh, yeah. Uh, see, I think I would say probably, oh, I know them online, but that's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> And again, when you're doing the pairing, IRL and online, that's not, that's just about right. So going with that, (laughs) do you consider your IRL, VRL lives balanced at this point? Or do you feel like your VRL's out of control? No, I think they're balanced. I do put a certain amount of restraint on what I put out there. Mm-hmm. I think, especially living in Thailand, of course, you understand this living in China, you have to be very careful what you say. Yeah. In Thailand, the, the, the royal family is, mm-hmm. is a very sensitive topic. Yeah. Censorship right now, I mean, it's, it's, Thailand is basically a military dictatorship, whether mm-hmm. it seems like it or not. So I'm careful never to say where I work on, mm-hmm. on the podcast. Um, I just say that I work in an office, which is true, but I never say what company. I probably tweet less than I want to. There's many, 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 many times where I've mm-hmm. written something and read it and read it and read it and read it. And I'm like, huh. and I keep coming back to something that a good friend of mine told me because when the former king of Thailand passed away, 
Mm. a few years ago. We actually did a show on mm. the king, why he was such an important part of Thai culture and why mm. he was such a well-respected, revered person. It was incredibly reverential. There was nothing controversial about it at all. We said only good things. But just to be careful, I sent it around to a few friends who had been in town for a long time. Mm. One of them was the, the co-founder of Smiling Albino. And uh, he wrote back to me and he said, yeah, you know, it's fine. But you know what? Foreigners don't need to have an opinion on everything. Stuck with me. Put my message out there far less than I probably want to. Mm-hmm. Because after a while, I'm just like, ah, I don't want to get involved. I just don't. If I don't tweet, who cares? So I do keep them separate. My yeah. personal life is Facebook and the security settings are turned way up. And I'm only friends with people I actually know. And I don't follow a ton of people on Twitter because who has time to check thousands of tweets after not looking for a few hours? I do put a bit of work into keeping them separate. Like every now and then I'll go through my Twitter when I'm not locked out and I'll I'll try to unfollow people <laughs> that I haven't seen tweeting for a while and I'll try to cut yeah. it to a lower number because I don't want to just follow people to follow people. Yeah. Um, I, I do the same thing with Facebook. Anyone I haven't talked yeah. talk to or interacted with in like a year or so, I just yeah. unfriend. In one way, WeChat is kind of nice because you have to be on it. There's so many things related to work and finance that you can't not be on it. So literally just everybody's always there. You know that one platform everybody's on outside of China, it really is, what do you use? And everybody's on different platforms and you have to remember which one this person uses and kind of go over there and and contact them that way. I do kind of want one thing that connects all of the platforms. Oh, that'd be nice. There used to be a few chat apps like Adium and things like that that used to connect things, Hotmail and Mm -hmm. Messenger and well things, but they never really caught on. I don't know why. I don't know why either. I mean, I understand there are diff- slightly different ways that the different ones look and have what they do and that kind of thing. When you're saturated by too many choices, I feel like that's where I am with social media on some level. The paradox of choice. I feel like I'm in the way too big North American grocery store and I don't need 20 or 30 kinds of ketchup. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 it also applies to the media landscape too. You know, like years ago yeah. you had 12 channels or whatever it was mm-hmm. and you watch a show and that's it. Now there's thousands of channels and I watch way less TV than I used to because yeah. it was time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I watch actually more YouTube stuff than I do. Because <laughs> I, yeah, I actually know the days of the week. Some of the folks that I watch on YouTube actually post new videos more ah, than you're flirting with danger there. It's just a show. It's very theme oriented. Some of them are travel. Some of them are food. They're just slightly less polished, slightly funnier versions of what I would have watched on TV if it had existed. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> so I subscribe to three channels, three or four channels that I watch regularly. And that's about it. Three or four. Oh no. I was doing a YouTube channel for a while also. So that I ended up subscribing to too many because I tend to poach ideas from a lot of folks when I'm doing something. And so Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Right. There you go. <laughs> so, but I've tapered back since then, but it was, it was fun to see how different people were doing different things things. But but going over into the trending area in YouTube is really discouraging. I like either the informative, the educational, the kind of brain scratchy kind of learn something part of YouTube that's developed. And the trending stuff tends to be the goofy, extreme, hypersexualized, or just kind of like bizarre stuff that I'm not sure why it exists. You know what I just started uh, pondering over? Have you ever heard of um, ASMR videos? Have you ever seen ASMR videos on YouTube? Yes, I have. There's one woman who lives <laughs> in Victoria, which is a town I spent some years in when I was a kid in Victoria, mm-hmm. Canada. Mm-hmm. And all it is, she's she's looks like a very attractive Asian woman. And mm-hmm. all it is is from her nose down as she sits there and goes, I'm about to eat a plate of yes, salmon. Yes. Or and she'll just like go... 
yeah. And eat all kinds of food. And she's got 2 million subscribers. And I'm like, I could do this. There's got to be enough weirdos in the world who want to watch a fat man with a goatee eat food. Like, come on. I don't want to be judgy. If somebody enjoys something and that's their entertainment, that's cool. Yeah, go nuts. I'm all for it. Like, yeah. whatever floats your boat, my friends. It's just, you know, people out there that put so much work into their stuff. Yeah. And they make the incredible videos. And then you're mm-hmm. like, that's all you do is eat in front of a camera. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No. I, I want to put a I want to put a little webcam underneath my desk at work, pointed at my feet, and <laughs> like, there's got to be a thousand people in the world who are freaks enough to pay two bucks a month to get access to watch me and my feet all day. They probably would. They probably would. You know, I don't know if it's like this in Thailand. Can't say in China. In Shanghai, because we're a tier one city, and there's a lot of wealth here, and. There's a lot of young people doing things that they, whatever they can do to make enough money for the next designer bag and yada, yada, yada. So they can okay. pretend to fall out of a car and have it splayed all over the ground in front of oh, them? No, 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 no. We're talking about the wealthy wanting to stay wealthy. So you'll see when you go to restaurants and stuff, not even super high-end restaurants, you'll see women set up their multiple cell phones and and you'll see them being filmed live stream as they're eating and people are paying they're like sending them money as they're eating i just want to jump in the middle of that and start kicking tripods (laughs) over and like stop watching you zombies and now having said that because my judgy side is out of control i have to admit that i have watched some study with me videos language learning and i've been staring at myself while i'm watching them going this shouldn't be interesting. But look how they're <laughs> writing that. Oh, look at that column. Oh, oh, look at all those highlighters. I have, but that's totally different from watching no, someone not. eat. No, it's not. Is it? I don't think it is. What the hell are you going to learn from watching someone eat? Well, like new I, fork technique or something? At least watching point. someone learn languages, you pick something up. Yeah, but after a while, how many tips can you really pick up? I don't know. I, I don't feel know. like it's it's along the same line i sit here and i make podcast after podcast and have made five bucks and these women go to a restaurant eat one meal and they've got you can see the like the rmb like little little thingies popping up how much people are paying them and i'm like look they figured out how to make money online i'm not so much making fun of them i'm just making fun of the people watching Watching. okay (laughs) i've got a friend named um conan stevens he's an actor if you look him up on imdb he's like seven feet tall huge muscular dude i remember him telling me years ago that he used to get a lot of people searching for big feet used Mm -hmm. to come to get sort of shunted over to his website that's what gave me the idea i'm like oh there's a lot of weirdos out there looking at feet like i've got size 14 feet which is a perennial problem for me to find shoes in thailand because <laughs> i've lived here since just never never once found a pair of shoes to fit me yeah and i'm like yeah like 14 foot in thailand come look at my live stream for two dollars or whatever <laughs> you should try this you should definitely try this <laughs> oh my gosh he's huge oh yeah yeah he's a really nice guy he's, he's super funny and he's very mm. abrasive and hey, you know, and of course, because I've got a dirty mind, I'm thinking like and for five bucks a month, I'll just tilt that cam up. You can look at my crotch all day while I'm sitting in my <laughs> two, oh, like, Patreon, like, two tiers of service. I'm just providing something to the weirdos that are already out there. Oh my gosh, there's so much potential for so much weirdness online. <laughs> have you ever put anything online that you regretted later? Yeah, there have been a, a couple of blog posts that I put up, mm-hmm. especially in the wake of the 2006 coup in Thailand. Mm. Um, critical of the government or certain people in it actually the guy i just told you about conan yeah. he wrote me an email and he said hey man uh just read your post as someone with a lot of experience online he basically gave me the whole foreigners don't need to have an opinion nice. thing. and he said like you might want to just take this down like, if it's taken the wrong way you could 
be in trouble. And I reread yeah. it again. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. So I took it down. That is a um, good friend. Yeah, yeah. And there was another time when I sent out a particularly harsh tweet that was making fun of, I won't mm-hmm. give you the details because they're boring, but I was making sort of taking the piss out of a particular aspect of Thai mm-hmm. culture. And this was only, only a few years ago. And the CEO of my company wrote me an email the next day. And he's like, hey man, you might want to tone it down. Like the guy in charge is this and this and this. You know, you work for a big company and if it goes bad, it's going to go bad in a big way and you're not mm-hmm. going to come out on top. I didn't delete it, but it just sort of reinforced that I think it's easy to lose track of the fact that people are watching when mm-hmm. everything you put online, and maybe not everything, but if it's online, it's out there. It's in the public domain. You need to be responsible for everything you put out there. Do you ever go back and delete or save or do anything with any of your social media regular feeds or posts or anything like that do you do anything with those no once they're done i forget about them and move on i don't think i've ever deleted a tweet mm-hmm. maybe one or two i can't remember why i have but it's usually within an hour maybe five or ten oh. minutes afterwards i'll go mm, maybe that wasn't such a good idea i'm kind of proud of that actually because it's so easy to just get riled up and there have been a couple of times when like sort of trolls who are very notorious in thailand have come after me, taking every ounce of restraint in my body to not mm-hmm. respond, to just ignore them. And they go away. Yeah. But I'm sure I would have regretted saying something, but I didn't. When I did the blog in Taiwan, I had a full-on stalker. I didn't know he was. Because you meet people that you meet online in person sometimes. And so I thought, oh yeah, he seems like a nice guy. Yeah, let's meet up and go get food. And then afterwards, like he kept texting me every time I posted. He texted me like all day about my post different questions and different things. And then I was just like, Hey dude, you know, cool it down. Like, like what's happening? Like, look, just could you stop with all the texts? And he just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then he was like meeting me outside of my work and he was doing all this creepy stuff. And I was like, okay, there wasn't really any security stuff online yet in 2003. And I was in a different Mm -hmm. country anyway. So I was like, what the hell do I do? And I'm like, oh wait, I have his phone number. I met this person. So I literally put his phone number on the blog and was like, if anybody's in Taiwan, if anybody's in the city that I was in, I was like, please, could you call this guy and talk him into like, like just backing the hell off and somebody did oh, really i was just terrified i was like i have no way to talk to i had no communicate no local language skills i didn't really know a lot of people there at that point it was just a few months in and i was like i have no idea what to do i mean i have these people reading the blog maybe one of them will be able to help me <laughs> wow you basically outsourced a bodyguard kind of yeah that's cool <laughs> it is cool it is cool it was creepy that it had to happen, but there's a lot more stuff then, online now that it can, it can stop before it gets to that point. I think it's weird because you know, obviously it's different because you're a woman and, and I think you're, women sort of are, are, we get this more, a lot more obviously, but I've even experienced it was where people like they, they're fans mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. And they, yeah. you know, you extend a little bit of friendship and they maybe take it the wrong way. I've never had anything that bad, mm-hmm. but. I've had people that got a, like a little too familiar to me, like, Hey, I'm having dinner. They sent me a picture of their food. And I'm like, I don't care what you're eating. <laughs> like, you're, It's just, they put more stock into what I'm doing than I do. Maybe like, I'm just some asshole talking about Bangkok with a friend. <laughs> but to them, there's sort of like this wall and it separates. Yeah. You know, like you were talking earlier about your online persona. They don't know what's behind that. So when they get a glimpse, it's, Mm-hmm. It's maybe interesting, and I'm I'm guilty of it too. There are people that I admire or follow, and if I'm talking with them, like Mike Duncan, who's a podcaster who does the amazing History of Rome podcasts and mm-hmm. uh, Revolutions podcasts, which are if you're a history nerd, like 
unbeatable. Him and I have had a couple of quick chats on Twitter. He followed me back and I was like, holy, this is really cool, you know? But I was very cognizant of the fact that to him, I'm just some nutcase out there in a pool with six billion other people and mm-hmm. I don't mean anything special to him. Whereas he is unique and special to me because of what he does. You brought up a really good point because I do I do contact people a lot, whether they are on YouTube, on Twitter, on like anywhere I see them online, if they're doing something that is interesting, I ask questions, comment on things. And I'm like, oh my God, that was wonderful. And I'll even quote them to themselves because I'm like, you, there's so little that comes in when you're doing stuff online a lot of times that I'm like, I I feel the need to let them know that something right. is happening. Somebody's listening. Something's happening. I don't know. And when they reply, I have that, oh, oh my God, connection has happened moment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm special. They've chosen me. <laughs> It could very well be their assistant or something that's doing it. I had a podcast last week and I was like, oh my God, this is exactly one of the questions that I'm trying to get at with this very podcast, the virtual expats one. And I was like, I was tweeting about it. And I emailed him this long, 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 long email. Four days later, somebody who has access to his social media account hearted my tweet to him. And I'm like, proof that he agrees with what I said. No, no, (laughs) we're on the same page. We're totally best friends now. No. It could not be more in sync. Not He's at like, all. oh, I was in my pocket. I accidentally does a butt heart. <laughs> it's so weird though, because <laughs> with podcasts specifically, we're in people's ears and we listen to people who are in our ears when we're listening to podcasts. You know, it's a really bizarrely intimate experience. Yeah. I use podcasts to drown out the noise of the city on my morning mm-hmm. commute. I'm in my own little world with this other voice. And that's exactly. It. So it's hard not to think I know this person. Have you received any weird feedback about the podcast or about the blog too. We haven't even talked about your blog. Greg to differ. Have yeah, you- not much to talk about. I think the last time I updated it was like six months ago. Actually, I'm working on something now. It's not really anything useful. It's just random thoughts that I have. The blog exists sort of as more of a uh, patch of real estate on the internet that I like to have just because why not? Fair enough. Um, but there's also a page on there that talks about the walking tours that I've done mm-hmm. with another company called Voice Map. The last post I have on there is I made a, I photoshopped up a Crayola crayon color palette based on Bangkok. It's just, just a weird idea I had that it's nothing more than like a little bit of a laugh. And the next blog I post will probably be something similar with an idea for like a bingo sheet based on Bangkok experiences. Mm. You know, they don't really add anything to the conversation, but they're just sort of more of a little like fun goof of an expat living in Bangkok. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, they're entertainment and you're funny. So with any of the things that you've put online, have there been any weird feedback that you've gotten from your audience that threw you off guard? There have been a few comments on podcasts where we've had a guest on and one of them stands out. One of our regular guests is a British monk who's been here for 22 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. And Pandit. Um, just had lunch with him the other day. Actually, he's a very nice guy. He came on a while ago and we did a talk about this particular sect Buddhism in Thailand called Damakai. Mm-hmm. His temple, the Pandit's temple is associated with this sect somehow very vividly and tenuously mm-hmm. but there is an association there so he is somewhat of a of a controversial person to mm-hmm. some people and we did the interview and it was very interesting blah, blah, blah. i put it up there and you can still see now it's on the site um this was months and months ago but someone went in with a, with a comment on the post and it was like super long like paragraphs and paragraphs mm-hmm. long about what Pandit said and what actually the, the scriptures say, blah, blah, blah. There have been a few things like that where I am clearly out of my element and I don't know how to respond. I can't respond mm-hmm. because I don't know what the guy is talking about. There have been a couple of times where 
someone has left a, a comment or something and that if I was much more intelligent, I could probably debate or, or answer back. But at the time I'm like, thanks for your comment. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening. Whatever. I can't really say anything because I'm just not smart enough. It's not that you're not smart if that's not your specialty. I mean, you bring on guests because yeah, okay. are experts and then you, you shouldn't have to be responsible for every single topic that other people are experts for. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. But I'm the conduit and yeah. the guest and is on one side and the commenters on the other side and I'm in the middle going, I don't know. <laughs> so, and, and it would feel weird just to say hey, to your guest, hey, could you answer this? Because they've already done their job, right? I mean, they've been on there. They're a wonderful guest. And then you know. this particular case, I did talk to Panda and I was like, hey, there's a comment on the site. If you want, go and answer him. And he was like, no, nah, fine. <laughs> Very Buddhist of him. That's all right. Yeah, he has an opinion. I'll leave it to him. You mentioned earlier how young the internet is, how young social media is. I feel like we're still kind of floundering and figuring out where we are in our VRLs. In school, we learn how to read, we learn how to write. Do we need some sort of VRL training as we're growing up so that we don't make mistakes that a lot of us make as we're using social media and the internet in general? I would say, yeah. When I was in high school, my friend Alec and I came up with the idea, like, we're not learning the things we need to know. We need a class called Real Life Experiences mm-hmm. or whatever it was. And it was, we were half joking and half serious. We were thinking, we were sitting there in our free periods going, no one teaches us how to balance a checkbook back when mm-hmm. these things were used. Um, no one teaches us how to do taxes. Mm-hmm. No one teaches us, you know, how to change a tire on a car. And, you know, jumping forward 25 years. Yeah, I definitely think that like navigating the digital landscape in the 21st century should be compulsory because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just don't know or understand how far the ripples can go after mm-hmm. they drop a rock in the pond. <laughs> That's a fun story about when I was at a, the company I used to work for. We all had to go to this hotel ballroom, several hundred of us, and the CEO was on stage and it was a compliance training afternoon session mm-hmm. with the legal counsel for the company. And the CEO got on stage and he was like, blah, 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 this is why you're here. Thank you for coming. Uh, this is very important and we all need to know how to navigate online mm-hmm. and when to, you know, sort of like when to post something and when to shut up. As he was talking, <laughs> yeah. someone in the audience, an employee of the company took a picture and put it on Instagram. The caption was like, boring. Oh. <laughs> and we got back to the office. At the time I was working in the, in the PR part where we dealt with all this stuff. And my coworkers and I were like, are you fucking kidding me? Like that's galactic level of of incompetence and just cluelessness onto how these things are, are perceived and distributed, you know? And of course we sent an email to her right away and we're like, you might want to delete that post before someone sees it, you know, but like it's, it seems so obvious mm-hmm. to a lot of people, but, but you have to realize that out there, people just don't know. They think that they can say anything and do anything and they don't really think about the consequences. As, as I said before, as a father now, that's one of the things that freaks me out. Oh, great. My son gets his first girlfriend. I'll take a picture of his dick and put it on something, something and then pretty soon I'm called into the school it only takes a second it's so quick and it can be so lasting (laughs) exactly yeah you know someone who's 17 has a 15 year old girlfriend and they change a couple of sexy pictures back and forth and suddenly you've got a child sex you know offense on your permanent record you need to think about these things we were playing around in one of the episodes about maybe there being a time delay with posts for example a tweet and then you'll press submit and it will like go for maybe a minute and then after a minute it'll say are you sure you want to do this (laughs) Yeah, that'd be really good. Google kind of has that with their beer goggles app, um, add-on or option you can turn on. I don't know that. What does that do? I think they used to be called beer goggles or Mm. 
something used to be called Google. But anyway, there's a thing now at Google where you can, with Gmail, you can turn it on and it delays it by like a minute. So you can unsend something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think I had that at some point. I think I'm, it's I'm, it is not long enough to rethink the entire theme of the argument. It's more, it's more like, oh shit, I forgot to see one guy and then just recall the email. No, that's true. For me, I'm less likely to do something really stupid in an email than I am on social media. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because... I don't know. Why is that? Oh, I'm trying to think of that right now, actually. They're both representations of you. Emails can be forwarded. Social media can be shared. Yeah. They're both kind of the same thing. You read emails over and over again. You read tweets over and over again. So I think I'm more emotional on social media than I am in an email. I'll do enthusiasm, rah, 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 kind of cheerleader stuff for my friends on email, but I won't necessarily be angry or frustrated or, or have like a negative emotion. This is the first time I'm saying this out loud. Wow, is this true? Um, <laughs> <laughs> my my frustration tends to come out. Yeah, I think it tends to come out more in social media than it does to a, a specific person or group in in an email. Are you enjoying this conversation about our virtualness and our geographicness colliding? Me too. Hey, I would love to interview you. Do you live in a country that is not your home country? Let's talk about your experience. Let's do it. Contact me at Steph Puccio, S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up on any of my social media platforms. I am Steph Fuccio on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. So contact me. Let's line this up. I would love to get your opinion into these questions out into the world. Let's do it. I think because social media is social and email is more measured, it's a more structured representation of you. <laughs> I guess if that makes sense. It could be. And I think a lot of my emails these days, they're very matter of factly. They're very scheduling. They're, there are some that are personal, but a lot of them are very transactional. Whereas my social mm. media has the range. Because I just think people are less inclined to forward an email unless it's particularly offensive or something like that. But yeah, 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 social yeah. media, it's easy to just click a button and boom. Oh, you know, oh, I just had the flash. I did send a very long, very angry email to the wrong person about, oh, I know the exact year. It was 2001. And it backfired (laughs) in a way that was just like I was writing about one person and thinking of I was sending it to this other person. Like I was thinking of I was sending it to my best friend and I was talking about somebody else and I accidentally sent it to the person I was writing about. Yeah, it was not good. Part of the Burt past thing where I'm like, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. (laughs) um... Yeah, there's nothing quite like that sinking feeling in your stomach when you realize what you've done. Oh, Oh, no. Yeah. And there was no taking it back then. And oh boy, I don't know if line has like a voice feature where you can leave audio messages. Does it have something Uh, like that? I assume it does. I've never actually done that before. I know WhatsApp does. A friend of mine communicates only via voice messages. And for WeChat, I use that thing. I'll do it via voice message because those you, I don't think you can forward those. And so, yeah, I, I just check line does have a thing like it that. It does. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't usually like using a dictation a lot because unless, unless it's for something very clinical and very basic, because otherwise I am sending messages to my friends or like, I can't believe this ducking thing or something. Like that. <laughs> Did you say ducking thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. After all because, the things that actually, you said, you said ducking. Really? Well, because well, because I say like, oh, this fucking thing sucks, and then the computer autocorrects it to ducking. But you know what? Actually, you might find this interesting. I actually, I actually a, a workaround for that. If you save a contact in your phone hmm. as fuck fucking, then it won't autocorrect that, that word to ducking. That is really funny. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was brilliant. Oh my gosh! I don't actually use autocomplete. I hate the suggestions they give me. 
but that is a really good workaround. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was brilliant. person to figure that out should work at NASA. Looking at your timeline, from Ottawa to Calgary to, to Chiang Mai to Bangkok. Oh, man. You, you basically adult grew up with the internet is basically what's happening. Like to the question of did your geographical changes affect your onlineness? The only stab in the dark I can make at a very, very thinly lined answer <laughs> from an outside perspective is that when you went from Chiang Mai to Bangkok, it looks like you went more from a megaphone to a community. You went more from the, you know, the blog where you're sending stuff out there into when you started to do the Twitter and the other things and doing kind of community stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's a great way to put it. It became a little bit more personal. You know, you got to meet some of these people in person. It was also a lifestyle change too. Before in Chiang Mai, I was just kind of living it up and not really doing anything. But when Mm -hmm. I came to Bangkok, I was working and I was part of a community as tenuous as the yeah. You know, those connections were mirrored from the social media. They were also mirrored in real life, most of them. You know? So I yeah. could chat to someone on Twitter, but then I would also see them at work the next day. So it's a very different interaction with people. Wow. Okay. So we're inconclusive, but it is interesting to watch the internet develop as you went from place to place. It's fascinating. And it's, it's just, like I said, it's been, it's been a consistent, steady upward trend as to how it became part of my life. And I'm not, I'm, you know, I, I just assume that everyone's like me, but internet without the internet, I, I would have so much free time. I wouldn't have a job. You know, it just, I don't know how people can not use it as much as I do. Cause I, I get so much use out of it. It's no, like watching did. an old TV show and they don't have computers on their desks. You know, and you're like, how did you get stuff done? It's absolutely puzzling. I'm like you. I, my first response to most things is I'll look it up online or I'll, I'll create this online or I'll contact this person online. It's like just a phone or a computer. There's always something kind of digital involved with a lot of things in my life. And not everybody's like that. Yeah. And a lot of my conversations, actually, which I realize is kind of probably annoying is, is like, did I ever tell you about this one thing I saw? Blah, blah, blah. Let me show you online. And it's like, <laughs> most of my anecdotes can be bolstered by a GIF or a meme or something like that. It's actually gotten to the point now where I, I'm doing these interviews uh, online or on podcast, or if I need to send some questions to someone, I prefer doing it completely online, mm-hmm. um, whether it's voice or text, mm-hmm. like meeting people, like, oh, I gotta get out, sit and meet this guy and do this, and deal with whatever. And like, why can't we just do it online? Right. Like you and me now, you and me have never met. There's no reason to meet really. We're having a conversation yeah. and the conversation is going to be put out to the world. We communicated before via email. So mm-hmm. there is something definitely lost when you don't have a face-to-face relationship with someone, like mm-hmm. in terms of the conversation and the body language and the nuance and things like that. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I prefer to just do things online. It's just so easy. Every Everything's traceable. There's a paper trail. You can find things. Maybe I'm just a nerd. No, I agree with you on so many levels. I wonder sometimes that time period when something's going to happen to the internet, when somebody's going to hack something super important and part of it's going to go down over here or over there for so many days or so many weeks or whatever. Is that an inevitability? How will I stay sane when that happens? Who's going to emerge from the ashes as the new leaders are the people who still have the old encyclopedia, right? Britannica encyclopedia. Yeah. Like these weren't affected by the EMP that went off in the atmosphere. I have all the knowledge, you know. Exactly. I mean, just the the thought of even a day of everything being blacked out. It's just, okay, a day might be okay. But beyond a day would just be like, okay, that's just affecting too many things. The comedian Joe Rogan has a great uh, joke about this. And he says, Mm -hmm. paraphrasing, but he said, when I was a kid, I thought like, oh, no worries. If I don't understand anything, the adults have it all figured out. No worries. But now (laughs) I'm an adult. I'm I'm scared shitless because I don't know how anything works. (laughs) He looked at the audience and he goes, imagine all of us in this room were stranded on a desert island together. How long do you think it would be before someone could send an email? (laughs) 
I have no idea. Like yeah. there's just so much stuff that we take for granted. I understand my dependence on it. I just, I, ah, mm. <laughs> I don't want to wean myself off. It's way too much fun. <laughs> were you a library person when you were a kid? I enjoyed them, but I didn't rely on them. I did. So for me, the internet is just turned into my digital library. Like if I want to find anything, learn anything, it's all there. Yeah. Unavoidable. And it's something that I rely on every day for my work for jokes, for anecdotes. My friend and I at work where we have a common thing to say like, oh, when, when, what year did the Bismarck sink? He would say like, if only there were a way that we could oh, query that. Oh, yes, I have a friend that says that. If only there's a device that could tell us that information. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> okay, final question. What is the thing that you wish you could do online that does not exist yet? Besides make feet videos and just watch the money roll in. I bet you those um, do exist now. You're going to make me YouTube right now. <laughs> I'm looking. I swear I'm looking right now. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Is there stuff on there? Oh, ow! <laughs> now I got to check. Please amputate my size 16 foot. What? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, God. Gross. No, I'm going away from this. Uh, no. Mm-mm. Oh, ASMR, relaxing foot massage. Oh, <laughs> there's Kenny Loggins foot loose video. That's, that's kind of... <laughs> Oh, God, I saw this. Please amputate my size 16 foot. Oh, God. Foot painting DIY? Wait, why would you paint your... It's live now. Oh, my God. We could go into the live sand foot painting video live. Curious about this guy. I tested a crazy foot peel mask. You know Reddit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, there's a whole subreddit called popping which is exactly what you expect and it's it's one of the most popular ones popping p-o-p-p-i-n-g yeah just people popping zits and cysts and stuff like that oh and there's a there's a doctor known as the pimple popper and she's got crazy huge audiences on youtube just popping pimples and getting blackheads out of people's noses and stuff like Okay, I get the practical side of that because sometimes those can hurt oh god oh wait oh Sorry, just nail fungus, but there being that many people watching it. Wait, we've completely veered off the question. Was that your serious answer to the question? Was the foot video thing? No, no. I'm just sort of a little bit stunned that this guy's got 11 million views, size 16 foot thing. Anyway. Please rephrase the question. I'm going to close the tab. His, his, um, I forget what they call the picture that goes on the video, but that's a great picture that he's got there. That oh yeah, the video thumbnail? Oh God. Oh my God, it's like sponge feet. Okay, is there anything that I wish that I could do online that I can't do right yes. now? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> not really, no. I-, I was thinking maybe the VR thing. It-, it interests me, but it's not something that I want to get involved with. I just want to avoid turning into a zombie. But I mean, I already sit in front of the computer all day. I don't want to sit in front of the computer with a mask all day. No, but I mean, I can play video games if I want to. I can chat with video. I can chat with audio. I can type. Mm-hmm. I can be creative. I can Photoshop. I can make things, learn things. Mm-hmm. It might be a pretty limited answer, but I, I can't think of anything that I want to do that I, like, I've never said, oh, I wish I could do this. What about you? Yeah. Well, my initial answer most of the time is smell. And then I walk outside and go down the road. <laughs> you, you live in Asia. You get this, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's some pretty yeah. powerful smells in this part of the world. There <laughs> sure is. And then I go, well, do I really want that? I don't know. If I could scratch and sniff Instagram and like make the choice, not just have it hit me. Like sometimes the video just starts on its own. I don't want that. Yeah. I mean, it'd be nice to be able to go to YouTube and watch a video of like 
someone mowing their lawn in a Midwestern town on a summer afternoon and I could smell barbecued hamburgers or something. That'd be nice. Oh, oh, okay. And then if we're going to do that, some sort of like, like if there was a video of a beach to have the wind come out of the video too. Mm, That'd be nice. Or you could turn on a fan, but not really the same thing. It's really not. Um, No, no, no. no. I want that air to come through the video, damn it. (laughs) It'd be nice if I could smell my Kindle and it would smell like an old book. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I guess that would, that would be interesting, but it's certainly not something that I miss. You know? Well, there's still real books around, and I, I actually do sniff those. But, um, so do I. So do I. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's hard not to. Okay, I lied. This is the last question. Do you think there's a difference between how expats use the internet and how non-expats use the internet? Holy internet, moly, social media. Serious questions. Their VRLs. Is that serious? I mean, I mean, serious in that I have to think about it. Um, oh. but I can't just come up with a pithy quip. How do ties use video, the internet, in the ways that I don't use the internet? I have nothing to back this up, no stats or anything, but Thai culture is very family-oriented. Everything revolves around the family. So... I think that for a lot of people, the internet is seen as sort of a, a bit of an escape in mm-hmm. Thailand, mm-hmm. just a, a fun little trifle to play with. And, and there's there obviously there are people here that use it very seriously for business and learning and education, et cetera. Yeah. But I think it's seen as sort of like an add-on to their life, which mostly centers around their parents and their cousins and brothers and sisters and stuff. Whereas for me as an expat, it is my life. It's not an add-on. It's how... I have a family. It's how I maintain contact with my family overseas. I think it's a bit more vital to me than it is for a lot of Thai people. I mean, we would all miss it terribly if it went away, like we were just talking about. But, you know, I I see it as like, if I didn't have the internet, I would feel probably very, very cut off from my home culture, from, you know, the pop culture that comes out of it, from the family and the conversation Mm -hmm. and the updates I get. This is related to something that my friends and I talk about a lot too, is that how, you know, my wife is Thai and as as well as we get along, we're never going to be able to get along as well on a cultural level Mm -hmm. as me and my friends who meet at the pub and chat about old tv shows or like seinfeld reruns or something Mm -hmm. like that and you need that cultural input you need that cultural mirror to bounce things off as an expat living in another culture which is something that i think the internet provides because i can look up a funny scene from seinfeld if i want to on youtube i can go and read the headlines from the newspapers in my hometown it provides a doorway to me that i think a lot of people living in thailand don't need because everything they need or want to have is here and it's funny because the first place i lived not just traveled in overseas i thought I'll use the internet for a while, then I'll immerse myself in the local culture and I won't need to have a foot in Western culture, (laughs) American culture anymore. And yeah, I literally almost went crazy because I make sense. Why do I need to be completely disconnected from where I came from? Mm. But I thought that that was the progression that needed to happen. And I don't think so. I think we can balance both. And I think it kind of helps us do that. Definitely. Yeah. It it gives you a hit, like a little bit of like, oh, I want to see that one scene again from that funny show that I watched when I was a kid. Boom. Mm -hmm. There it is. Back to work, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm watching stuff that's happening in the US, (laughs) some of it. And even entertainment wise, like I'm I'm aware of some things that are happening, but there's a lot that I'm not because I'm not hearing everybody talk about it all the time or that kind of thing. I'm missing some, but I'm getting some, but it still feels like I've got one foot kind of there and it feels kind of grounding sometimes. Definitely. Unless you want to go fully native. I don't think any of us really want to. Like that's where we came from. That's it's in our DNA. Moving overseas as an adult, do you need to? Do you want to? Do you? Well, could you completely divorce yourself from your home culture to that degree? Well, it's funny you say this now because I, this is a bit more on a personal note, but um, my sister just moved to Australia. Mm-hmm. 
my mom is going to move to South America in mm-hmm. the next in the next year. Wow. That that's it. My mom raised me and my sister by herself. So I've got a couple of cousins and stuff scattered around. Mm-hmm. But suddenly I find myself like there's not really anything left in Canada for me anymore. Mm-hmm. And and now I'm thinking about my son. He's half Canadian, but like mm-hmm. how important is that to him now? Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to go home every year to see grandma. So if I don't tell him about Canada and go there regularly, which I now have no reason to, he's just not going to be Canadian. He's going to be fully tied. Nothing wrong with that, but he's going to lack that connection to Canada that I take for granted. I actually wrote a blog about this a while ago when yeah. there's a Canadian band called the Tragically Hip. Mm-hmm. They're, they're sort of like Bruce Springsteen for Canada. Mm-hmm. Like they've been yeah. around forever and everyone knows the hip. The lead singer, Gord Downey, he died of brain cancer about six months ago maybe eight months ago and they knew it was coming and they did like a final tour cross country tour and they played all these amazing dates and like all these famous people were there and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so sort of like a farewell thank you tour before he died and yeah. died. It was very sad. Mm-hmm. And so I went back and I, I re-listened to their stuff because I never used to like their music and I really liked it when I re-listened to it this time. Mm-hmm. And it struck me that the Canada that I knew that I identified with, that I think of when I think about Canada in my mind, it doesn't really exist anymore. So when I say like, Oh, I miss living in Canada. It's not really true. I miss living in Canada 20 years ago, Yeah. but that's not the Canada today. The Canada today, I don't really know much about Yeah. politically, mm-hmm. you know, culturally is okay. I've got some touchstones that will never go away, but you know, there's, there's so much about Canada that I just don't know anymore. Yeah. So it would, almost be like moving to a totally new country if I ever did move back. So I'm not really sure where I was going with this, but keeping on top of your culture is complicated. Yeah, it's very complicated. Well, my parents both immigrated from Italy and then had three kids and I'm the youngest. And so I grew up, like they brought us over to Italy a few times and stuff, but I grew up in the US. So I was surrounded by Americans and I had as much American culture as I could get outside of the home. But then I had kind of Italian culture inside the home. And so there's bits of both that I have and bits of both that I miss. And I wonder if part of that is what your son's going to have. And is is that so bad to have your part of Canada in him as what he knows about it? I don't think it's bad. I'm just put some more thought into it. And my grandparents came from the UK when my mom was about 12. Mm -hmm. She grew up in Canada since then. So he's going to have the same connection to Canada that I have to the, to the UK, which is not a lot. Back in the beginning of this podcast, it was a completely different creature. And I was just kind of investigating different kinds of people living overseas. You have the business expats and you have the people in teaching English. And then you have the, and that's when I learned about TCKs, the third culture kids. Mm, Yeah. We did a show on that recently too for the, for our Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And so I actually connected with a woman who wrote a book after doing all this research on that. Oh my gosh, the the similarities between TCKs and immigrant kids and a lot of that multicultural, but kind of, there's also black holes culturally, you know, that kind of goes together. Like you've got this extra stuff and you've got stuff missing and it's just, it's complicated. Yeah. I never even heard that term until about six months ago. I I think, I don't know, I could probably date it if I had to, because it's in one of the episodes, but I was just like, oh my God, I didn't know this was a thing. And then I started like looking at videos that that different TCKs did in and reading the descriptions and the, the, the identity issues that they had. And I was like, oh, oh, I've got some of those. There's a serious Venn diagram that we can overlay here. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, wow, that's that's some complicated stuff. Yeah, it's a struggle. It's a constant back and forth. And after being overseas for so long, I've been 17 years, do I even want to go back? Do I even care anymore? Like, you know, I mean, I'm super proud to be Canadian. I'm 
always going to be proud to be Canadian, but that fades over time. It just has to, because it just becomes a memory. And like I said, the Canada in my mind is not the Canada that exists that my friends live in. Is that kind of true when we're staying in the same place? Like is, is Thailand even the Thailand that you knew when you first moved there? No, it's not, but at least I can say, oh, this is how it's different. That's true. Yeah. I don't know what's different now. Like Gord Downey's dead. Um, <laughs> you know, I say if I went back to Canada and got a job, water cooler talk, I would have no idea. Like, oh, this politician was in. Remember a few years ago when he did this? And I'd be like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, remember when this, when this sports team won this thing? No, I don't know. I wasn't here. Yeah. So there's, there's all these like t- cultural touchstones sure. that, that they take for granted that I wouldn't know. Again, which is why I need to have my Western friends here because we can joke about Seinfeld and we yeah. can joke about the stuff that we all used to share back in the day. No, it's complicated. When I first started living overseas, I'd, I would spend like six months in different countries and then I'd go back to San Francisco and spend six months there working and saving up to do the next round of working overseas for almost nothing and nice. broke again. And I'd do that a few times back and forth and I'd work in offices and I would have those awkward conversations where they're like, hey, so what did you do this weekend? I was like, well, I spent all the time on Thorn Tree researching my next move. And I was like, <laughs> what? Sounds fun. They're like, oh, where, did, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, God, that question. <laughs> you could just start lying and they're like oh da, 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 last month and i was like oh yeah i was in taiwan then and they're like wait what like it just every conversation would just end as soon as i would speak and i'm like this is awkward <laughs> <laughs> i think it's more comfortable if i just didn't come home because it would just it's just such a strange conversation to have so many times yeah no doubt no doubt For example if you decided to move back then your son's Thai side would be the opposite of what it is now. Like now his Canadian side is kind of not as strong as his Thai side. But if you guys move to Canada, then his mom would need to make sure that his Thai side would be like a strong memory. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I said, a whole other conversation. I don't think we're going to be moving back. Mostly because we can't afford it. It's just so goddamn expensive. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm I'm, I'm here for the next little while. And I mean, I said that, supposed to be four months 17 years ago so (laughs) i think i'll be here for a while yet like went kicking and screaming from asia like oh gosh the first gazillion years and yeah just before we left the phd i was like i think we should go back to china and my husband just kind of like dropped everything out of his hands and went i'm sorry you want to go back to asia (laughs) (laughs) well that's a different thing (laughs) Uh, it's good you got a partner that's open to that Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we met overseas. We met in Vietnam. Oh, cool. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, because it makes sense for Americans to meet in Vietnam and get married. And yeah. That's an interesting dynamic. We could probably talk about that on a whole other sh- uh, topic. You're, my wife is Thai. Your husband is American. You're American. So you, yeah. you have that someone with you all the time, which must be really nice to <laughs> chat with and, and joke around and stuff. It is. It's not as much of a Venn diagram as you would think. I'm from the coasts and he's okay. from a very conservative, in a very, very different part of America. There's some overlap where we'll laugh at the same thing or get references or get what each other's talking about. And there's a lot of times where I'm like, wait, why did you say that? Or what does that mean to you? <laughs> so thank you so much, Greg, for joining us on Virtual Expats. This has been a wonderful experience. Yeah, no, my pleasure. It was a great conversation. And it's nice to have you know, stimulating uh, conversations about the expat life with someone outside of Thailand because every country is different. So um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Have me back on anytime. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this 
episode of Virtual Expat. And special thank you again to Damon Castillo for the music and to our special guest this time. If you'd like to be interviewed for this podcast, just send me an email or contact me on social media in the show notes. You can find all my information or you can just jot it down right now. Are you ready? You ready? Here we go. Steph Fuccio, S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O, Gmail, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr. There you go. Contact me. Oh, also LinkedIn too. You know what? I keep forgetting about that one. Hey, thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to your questions, comments, feedback, any information, and volunteering to be on the podcast as well. Thank you so much and have a wonderful, wonderful day on or offline.